Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Glad to have you across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be on the program. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, the House Freedom Caucus, what they've done. But before I do, before we dramatically shift subjects, I want to take this phone call from Lewis, who's a truck driver. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Eric. Uh, my, my question is, I don't know why the Republican Party and no one else in the state of Georgia saw the direction that uh, David Schaefer was going. Uh, I listened to uh, two guys out in Houston. I know you know who the Walton and Johnson show is, and I also yeah. know who, you know who Michael Berry is. Well, yes. he would call these programs. He called Michael Berry almost every other day. Right down to the wire, and he would say, uh, Michael would ask him, say, do you what we have? He'd go, yeah, 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 we got it in the bag. He'd call the Walter Johnson, so same thing. And it's like, uh, you know, I just knew everybody had this confidence way too high that there was no uh, effort to change course to make sure they did win because of, of just the, the hyperventilator of that we were going to win. Okay, so I, I, listen, um, I got to say, I I know David Schaefer and at, at one point uh, considered him a friend and have blocked his number on my cell phone now. Um, I want nothing to do with the guy, uh, the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia. Uh, I, I need to put this in perspective for everybody outside of Georgia, just so you understand what Lewis is talking about. David Schaefer was a Republican member of the state Senate. He ran for lieutenant governor and lost in a runoff. He became the chairman of the Republican Party. Years ago, when the Republicans were building, David Schaefer was the executive director of the Republican Party in Georgia, and he did a lot of good. And then he got into power politics and I don't know what happened to the guy. I don't know. It's a sad situation. Made worse that the state party itself won't do anything about him when they have power to. Let me just give you the perspective here. Under David Schaefer, the Republicans lost the Georgia Electoral College vote in 2020. Instead of trying to diagnose what the state party did wrong and the party did a lot wrong in fact you know uh, under georgia law people can challenge absentee ballots people have requested absentee ballots and the like you, you can challenge them party never bothered to do anything for voter integrity none of this stuff the state party in georgia was derelict in its duties it was not aggressive in defending the franchise and so after the election, instead of saying we need to reassess and figure out what went wrong, the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia embraced the stolen election lie. And he doubled down on it. And everything Donald Trump said, he echoed. And the result was that the president of the United States and the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia managed to convince Republicans not to show up in the runoff and the Republicans nationally lost the United States Senate. And the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia had a good bit to do with that. So what did he do next? He didn't resign. God, no, he didn't resign. No, instead, he went out and he found individuals to run against statewide office holders in Georgia who were Republicans.
Every Republican at a state level that I have talked to has said David Schaefer, all the elected Republicans, tell me they firmly believe Schaefer was responsible for helping get Republicans into the races against Republican candidates from the attorney general to the uh, governor to the uh, to the insurance commissioner, you name it. Uh, they all blame Schaefer. All of them do. They believe, and a lot of Republicans believe, and have reason, legitimate reason to believe, that the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia, instead of trying to fix the situation in Georgia, tried to find people to oust Republican incumbents. And they all lost. And along the way, it turns out he was one of the fake electors. In fact, he was one of the organizers of the fake electors situation. Now, I don't actually think they broke the law. I don't think they should have done it. I frankly think it was a stupid waste of time and an embarrassment to the party that they did it. I know there are people who disagree with me, but I don't think they broke the law. But I cannot understand how in the state of Georgia, for the first time since 2002, the GOP gets a drubbing statewide and they keep the chairman of the party in place. I cannot understand how so many people in and around the party believe the chairman of the state party helped talk people out of voting in the runoff and they left him in charge. I cannot understand why so many people inside and outside the party in Georgia believe this guy found challengers to the incumbent Republicans, and they all lost, all of his challengers lost, and they leave him in place. You would think that the executive committee of the Republican Party of the state of Georgia, by right of due diligence and operation and a fiscal and good stewardship, would say it's time for the chairman to go because he's lost the confidence of all of the statewide elected officials in the state of Georgia who are Republicans. Instead, what you have is this group of people have left him in place, and what the elected Republicans in the state are doing is they're setting up their own outside groups. They're no longer helping the Republican Party in the way they did. They're no longer fundraising in the way they did. They're setting up their own groups. They're setting up their own outside political action committees. They're setting on their uh, their own outside leadership funds to bypass the Republican Party of the state of Georgia because they lack confidence in the chairman. Now, if you are in any sort of corporate environment and all of your major constituencies lose confidence in the CEO, you replace the CEO. Otherwise, you wind up marginalized. And what the executive committee in the state of Georgia is doing is allowing themselves to be marginalized by refusing to do the right thing. Now, the way that the Republican Party comes into play typically in Georgia is they help with the ground game. They help get out the vote in November. I don't know a single statewide elected or most of the state legislative Republicans who think the Republican Party in Georgia is capable of doing that. They certainly don't trust them to do it. Many of them are relying on their own outside groups in order to turn out a ground game. They want nothing to do with the Republican Party in Georgia. It's not an over-exaggeration. Now, the Republican Party in Georgia denies all of this. They say, oh, no, everybody's got the confidence of it. I will tell you this. I was behind the curtain backstage at the primary night event for the Republican governor of the state of Georgia and multiple leadership members of the state legislature in the House and the Senate were using the word F 
before the name David Schaefer. Many of them were not surprised he did not show up at the event while they were there, and none of them wanted him there. And when you have the senior leadership of the House and the Senate Republicans in the state of Georgia and statewide officials in the state of Georgia, very happy that the chairman of the party is not at an event for the re-election of the governor of the state. That should tell you everything. And that it does not tell the Republican executive committee a thing is a damning indictment on them. They have marginalized themselves. They have made themselves a fringe group. And until they're willing to clean up their own house, they can expect that all of the outside entities, donors, fundraisers, and the like will go elsewhere. And good riddance, they will have brought it on themselves. It's just absolutely incredible to watch that ineptitude. Now, having gotten that off my chest, I will shift gears. Because there's something I need to call your attention to. The Washington Examiner has an exclusive about the House Freedom Caucus. It's issued rules change demands for leadership if the GOP takes back the majority of the House representatives. Let me just give you a part of this. Um, They expect to take back the House. The Freedom Caucus are the most conservative members of the Republican conference, many of whom I count as good friends. Mark Meadows used to be the chairman of the group. Jim Jordan was at one point. And they want some changes. And among the changes they want is reforming the motion to vacate the chair in order to boot the Speaker of the House, which they should do. Uh, They rallied in order to force John Boehner out years ago. And they need to be able to have some clout in the future to do that. More importantly, though, I think, is they want changes on the steering committee. Now, the steering committee is responsible for selecting which committees members sit on and who leads them. What the Freedom Caucus wants is more regional representation. They Traditionally, the steering committee is, is packed full of allies of the House leadership. The House Freedom Caucus uh, has seen that it excludes conservatives. So, for example, there was a situation a couple of years ago, my buddy Jody Heiss, outgoing member of Congress on the Freedom Caucus, he was forced off the um, Senate or the House Armed Services Committee. Georgia has always historically had two members of the House Armed Services Committee, and Kevin McCarthy forced him out, and there was no conservative there who would stand up for Jody Heiss. They used the steering committee to purge good conservatives from committees. Another thing they want is to allow the committee process to actually work. This is probably the biggest one. 
an open amendment process where members can amend bills from the floor on both sides of the house of both sides of the aisle democrat and republican offer amendments but also allow the committees to actually shape the legislation nowadays what typically happens is the leadership of the house drafts the legislation and they ram it through committee as quickly as possible and get it to the floor and no one gets to read it there's no time in fact this hurts the democrats and republicans alike it hurts the conservatives and the progressives nobody gets to make an argument to improve a measure it's exactly what the house leadership says screw you if you don't like it vote now don't read it vote and the House Freedom Caucus is taking a stand and saying, this is wrong. We are the people's house, and you are depriving the people's representatives of the opportunity to even examine and question the legislation and offer amendments to improve it. They also want Republicans to prohibit legislation from coming to the floor unless each committee of jurisdiction has acted on it. In other words, they don't want House leaders to be able to bypass the committee process and get stuff to the floor. One of the most important ones, though, is that they want to rule that appropriations measures have to be approved by the House by August 1st, and if not, no other legislation can come up and the House cannot recess until all the appropriations bills are passed. This is probably the most important one. I think it's been since the Clinton administration, maybe the Bush, early Bush administration, but I think the Clinton administration was the last time Congress passed a budget. The number one job of the United States Congress is to pass budgets, and they haven't done it in decades. And the House Freedom Caucus wants more fiscal responsibility and in part insists that you got to pass the appropriations measures in the House. The Senate may not pass them, but the House needs to pass them. They originate in the House. They need to be passed by the House. They need to be passed by August 1st. It is the job of the House of Representatives, and they're failing to do it. And instead, what happens is you get these, con uh, the, you get these continuing resolutions that just jack up spending and no one argues with them. They ram them through at the last minute to avoid government shutdowns and you don't get to reform the budget. Another important one is they want to be able to reinstate the Holman rule. Allows members of the House of Representatives to make targeted spending cuts to the salaries of bureaucrats. It was removed in the 116th Congress. Democrats got rid of the Holman rule because they were afraid Republicans would target Anthony Fauci. They need to bring it back. These are the House Freedom Caucus sometimes gets stigmatized as as the group that just says no to everything and throws bombs. These are responsible, responsible changes. It is minutia in the operation of the House of Representatives that I realize no one cares about. And I'm boring you to death spending so much time on my radio show talking about. But you know about these. These are the most responsible calls by conservatives in the House of Representatives in a very long time. And it boils down to very simple things. Don't use the steering committee to stack leadership allies and punish conservatives. Make the committee process work and allow everybody in the House to participate in the process as they were elected to do by offering amendments. And require that the House of Representatives actually pass their appropriation bills in a timely manner and don't allow them to go home for recess if it's not done. These are common sense. They would go towards reforming the House of Representatives and bring the House back to the people and away from leadership. 
everyone should support these, Democrat and Republican alike. It gives no advantage to conservatives. It gives no advantage to progressives. It gives an advantage to the people of the United States whose elected representatives are sent to Washington, and when they get there are surprised to learn they don't actually do anything. Leadership does everything, and all they do is show up and vote. No, every single member of the House of Representatives was elected to represent people and to legislate, allow them to do their jobs. Good for the House Freedom Caucus for doing this. I've been telling you guys just how terrible the new White House press secretary is. Uh, kudos to the RNC for putting this together. I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. You don't have anything. I just don't have anything. Don't have anything. So I don't have anything. 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 Just don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. Again, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. This goes on for another minute and a half of Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. She just doesn't have anything, doesn't have anything to offer from the White House on really any subject. They're just not good at this. They're just not good at this. Uh, when we come back, we got to dive into some of the economic news. It it's really is like uh, they're using 1984 as a how-to manual to just redefining words they don't like redefine woman redefine vaccine now they're redefining what a recession is what's so fascinating is a number of people have been able to go into twitter to the blue checks and find how just a month or two ago they were saying ah we're about to be in a second quarter of negative growth we're going to be in a recession and they're like oh well technically we're not in a recession actually things are going pretty well the biden white house says so it's remarkable to watch this stuff happening in real time before our very eyes um, these people are just partisan hacks, absolutely partisan hacks in the press. Why would any Republican want to talk to them? We'll talk about that issue as well as the press pounces on the GOP's willingness, unwillingness to engage with them. Right now, though, I want you to pounce on some Omaha Steaks. My gosh, do they have a good offer. You go to omahasteaks.com and you put Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar. You get Omaha Steaks All-American Assortment with 12 burgers for free. You get 100% satisfaction guarantee. You get it delivered to your door. They have been doing the shawl since 1917. They got into the mail order business in the 1950s. It has exploded. Why? Because they are the best at it. Their supply chain is unlike any other. The quality and the value that you get is incredible. You get fillets, pork chops, boneless chicken breast, uh, gourmet jumbo franks, potatoes au gratin, caramel apple tartlets, all of this in the package. You save over 50% and you get those 12 burgers for free. You go to omahasteaks.com. You put Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar, and you get the All-American Assortment delivered to your door. It makes your family happy. You stockpile your freezer. You throw it on the grill, and you just cook. You love it. Um, you can also get so much more there. They have great seafood as well at Omaha Steaks. They've got prepared dishes as well that you can get and reheat. But if you really want to stock up your freezer for the summer, go to omahasteaks.com, put Eric in the search bar, get these 12 burgers for free. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. If you want to be on the show, 877-973-7425. I got, I got a, I, I'm just going to get this off my chest. This just bothers me. It's from one of the things Donald Trump said the other day. Just listen. 
closed it up long before Nancy Pelosi wanted it, or any of these people, including Fauci. I used to listen to Fauci, and whatever he said, I did the opposite. I came out very good. No, you didn't. I used to listen to Fauci, and whatever he said, I did the opposite. I came out very good. No, you did not. When Brian Kemp reopened the state of Georgia, you went after him twice because Fauci said it was a bad idea, and you agreed. <sighs> no, the problem was you did exactly what Fauci told you to do, and you shut down the nation. <sighs> Gosh, come on, man. Come on, maybe at least you weren't claiming the election was stolen again. All right. I got to move on. Need to move on. I got other stuff. I want to play you a clip here. This is uh, Brianna Keeler talking to one of the CNN reporters, Isaac DeVore Smith. Listen to this. Democratic strategist. She was a senior advisor to Pete Buttigieg in his presidential campaign. Oh, I'm sorry. She is the author. This is now Liz Smith they're talking to, but they also talked to Isaac Edward DeVore, Isaac DeVore, whatever his name is. ...of a very buzzy new book, Any Given Tuesday, A Political Love Story. It is out in bookstores and in my hands at this <laughs> very moment. Uh, and Liz, you talk a lot about yourself in this book. You talk a lot about what you've worked on, but you also talk a lot about the Democratic Party yes. and where it is and where it's going. When you hear Isaac's reporting right there, and I know you know what a great reporter Isaac is, and he has his finger on the pulse of what the party is doing. What do you think? Do you, labeling Republicans as extremists, what does that tell you about what's available to the well, Democrats? Well, I have to say Isaac is definitely one of the best in the business. But um, yes, n not a newsflash. Democrats are labeling um, Republicans as extremists because Republicans have become a party of extremists. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. The people who are in the mainstream of the Republican Party today, 10 years ago, would have shun been shunned by uh, party leadership. I was in Bucks County, Pennsylvania last night. I got home, you know, only a few hours ago. And I was talking with candidates who were running in districts where uh, Biden won by 1%. And those are districts that Democrats should be losing in a bad year. But they have seen that um, the Dobbs decision and the recent mass shootings have really changed the tide for them. Um, because in Pennsylvania, especially, you have a gubernatorial candidate who is against um, abortion in all, in all cases, no exceptions, and who is an election den denier and um, would choose the next president uh, rather than let the voters choose it for the people of Pennsylvania. Is that messaging calling Republicans extremist enough, or do Democrats need to do more than that? <laughs> right there. Is the messaging calling Republicans extremists enough, or do Democrats need to do more than that? Now, here's what you need to know. In these things where Liz Smith is talking, she was Pete Buttigieg's strategist. The media loves her because she drinks beer and cusses in pool halls. That, that's, that's all you need to do to impress the media. But when she talks... And she says these things like, you know, these races, I was in Bucks County, and there's 1% races, places the Democrats should be losing. The Dobbs decision, the mass shootings, they're, they're changing that. She's not looking at them. She doesn't make eye contact with them when she says these things. She looks away. Call her bluff. It's not true.
she's spinning. And she's known as a master of spin. But the response of the reporters is, is it enough? Is that what they need to do? New York Magazine and Vanity Fair both have stories. It's not a coincidence when you see two magazines like this, two publications come out and say, Republicans aren't talking to the press anymore. What's going on? You know, behind the scenes, these conversations are happening in the Democratic bubble with the press. I want to start with David Friedlander who kind of uh, gives you a sense of why exactly the Republicans aren't talking. I just don't see the point anymore, said an advisor to a likely GOP presidential aspirant who requested anonymity to discuss press strategy. We know reporters always disagreed with the Republican Party, but it used to be you thought you could get a fair shake. Now, every reporter and every outlet is just chasing resistance rage clicks. And this is what Freelander writes right after that. A competing theory of the case is that there really is not much Republicans can say. The past six years have seen them rally behind a person, almost all of them once denounced as dangerously unfit for public office, even as their most dire 2015-era warnings proved true. Any decent profile writer would have to ask, until some kind of satisfactory answer was achieved, what they saw during the Trump administration that made them change their stance. So again, go back to the quote, I don't see what the point is anymore. We all know reporters used to disagree with the Republican Party and you could get a fair shake. Now they're just chasing resistance rage clicks. The reporter actually proves the point. Why waste your time with the press? Why? And so they're concerned They're concerned that the GOP may just refuse to be held accountable. By who? Well, the liberals and the press. If GOP political operatives used to suspect reporters were liberal and would scour their clips for evidence of where their biases lay, now they say they have proof. The rise of Twitter has given them, in the words of one, a direct view into the id of every political reporter in America. The social media platform rewards dunks, jokes, and takes. The current economy of political journalism is such that reporters need to not just do their job, but build up their follower accounts, and Twitter, too, skews to the left as twitter skews to the left so increasingly does the readership of elite and establishment publications which have followed the same kind of trend of educational polarization the media is upset republicans don't want to talk to them now that was the new york magazine let's go to vanity fair Will Republicans shut out the press in 2024? This past weekend, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Senator Marco Rubio, both of whom are up for re-election, headlined the Florida Republican Party's annual Sunshine Summit. Other high-profile Florida Republicans were in attendance at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, which this year tried something new. After seven years of being open to the press, it limited which media could attend, giving inside-the-room access to right-wing outlets to give the governor positive coverage, according to Politico. 
Many local and national mainstream outlets were unable to get press credentials. It has come to my attention that some liberal media activists are mad because they aren't allowed into Sunshine, Sunshine Summit this weekend. DeSantis spokeswoman Christina Pushal tweeted Friday, my message to them is to try crying about it, then go to kickboxing and have a margarita and write the same hit piece you are going to write anyway. As the Tallahassee Democrat noted Republicans continued to bash mainstream media publications at the event with DeSantis telling the Daily Wire that he wanted to avoid, quote, a bunch of left wing media asking our primary candidates a bunch of gotcha questions. His campaign spokesman, Dave Abrams, claimed the media tantrums about press credentials validated their presumption that fair coverage was never a thought for them. Recent comments from DeSantis and others in the GOP speak to an emerging strategy, one that New York's magazine's David Friedlander defined Monday as, quote, actively courting the media scorn while avoiding anything that may be viewed as consorting with the enemy. As Friedlander notes, Republicans for decades going back to the Nixon years have taken aim at the press, but the dynamic ratcheted up since Trump's political rise, evidenced by a lack of participation by Republicans in everything from political profiles to daily news stories. I just don't see what the point is anymore, said one advisor. Some, such as the Times, Jeremy Peters, New York Times, that would be, suggest the Republicans are dodging press scrutiny because they don't want to have to defend Donald Trump and his falsehoods. Let's talk about this phenomenon. I want to play you a clip. Yamichi Alcindor is a member of the press. She's not just any member of the press, though. She is the moderator of Washington Week on PBS, and she is the Washington correspondent for NBC News. And she was on Morning Joe... And I want you to listen to Yumichi Alsandor, a supposedly objective, fair-minded reporter. Listen to this. Cultural issues were very popular in that room. He, former President Trump, went on a long rant about transgender Americans, and he used transphobic language. In particular, he was talking about transgender women competing in sports and said that they were men trying to compete against women, which, of course, is not the right way to, to, to talk about that issue. Who the hell are you to tell us how to talk about that issue? Yamiche Alsandor, who's supposedly an objective member of the press, goes on NBC. She's an NBC Washington correspondent and lectures Donald Trump that he's using transphobic language and tells him it's not the right way to talk about the issue. Men being in women's sports. No, no, it's transgender women you're supposed to say. Who are you to tell me how to talk about men going into my daughter's bathroom or competing on her sports team? You're an objective reporter lecturing us on our phrasing and phraseology, calling us transphobic for being concerned about our daughter's welfare. Who the hell are you to do that to me or any other Republican? Why should any Republican take you seriously? Why should any Republican engage with you? Why should any Republican answer your questions when you are that predisposed to be on the left side on these issues. There's a culture war raising and this woman has picked a side and it's not just her. Most of the Washington DC press corps, 
most of the reporters in the White House. They are all about the Democrats. Consider this. Every reporter in Washington who covers the economy has for years said two quarters of negative economic growth means there's a recession. And suddenly the White House comes out and says, no, it does. And they're all like, ah, we're not in a recession. No, two quarters doesn't mean a recession. Ben White is one of the economic reporters, I think, for Politico in Washington. A month ago, a month ago, the man said, we're probably in a recession, two quarters of negative economic growth. And today he's saying two quarters of negative economic growth doesn't mean a recession. Why should any Republican anywhere want to spend any amount of time with members of the D.C. press, the gang of 500, the circle of jerks who get together in Washington and try to promote Democratic talking points? Why should anybody want to do it? You're not going to get a fair hearing. The presuppositions will always be of the left. Why should any Republican bother? And then you have these reporters writing about the phenomenon and say, well, maybe the Republicans don't have anything to say because they'll have to talk about Donald Trump until we get an answer that satisfies us. No answer is going to satisfy you, so why even bother? I would applaud Republican politicians for avoiding these people like the plague. They have revealed their biases and are mad at you now for pointing out they've revealed their biases. They themselves are the ones who reveal their own biases. There is no reason to waste any amount of time dealing with major members of the media in Washington, D.C. Just shut them out. You got Fox News. You can go on there. You'll get a fair hearing there. They're the dominant news network in the country. Just go there. Go to conservative talk radio. Go to your own Twitter feed. Go to your own social media and get your message out. There's no reason for you to be dependent on a monopoly of a group of leftists in Washington, D.C. who think that it's perfectly fine for a man to be in your daughter's bathroom and tells you you're the bigot for being upset with it. There's no reason to engage with the Washington press corps if you're a Republican. There are many fair reporters, and I want to say this on the record with all of you. There are many fair reporters at some networks that I think lean left and they try to do a good job and I applaud them for doing it. And they should understand that it is their colleagues and the editorial biases of their institutions that are bringing this upon them. Don't be mad at the Republicans. Be mad at your fellow colleagues in the press who've given up the game, revealed their biases and are deeply hostile to anyone who doesn't share their worldview. If the Republicans aren't engaging with you, it's because of your colleagues, not because of the Republicans. And until the media gets some self-awareness and changes and commits to being fair, there's no reason for the Republicans to waste their time with them. All you're doing is giving the Democrats talking points. What all these news networks need to do is they need to go buy a bunch of Eden Pure Thunderstorms, put them in their newsrooms and clear the air. Start over. With the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, you get rid of all the noxious odors that people like Michi Sandor leave behind on your TV screen, among other things. What happens is it wipes out the odors. It doesn't mask the odors, doesn't disguise the odors. It gets rid of the odors. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put Eric 3 in the bar that shows up on the front page of that website, EdenPureDeals.com, you put in Eric 3, you get three of these for less than $200. You save $200 and you get free shipping. The 
Eden Pure Thunderstorm eliminates odors. It also gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the dust, the pollen that's floating in the air. But when I use it, because it wipes out odors, it doesn't mask them. It's not a diffuser. It's no essential oils. It wipes out the odors. And you get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement or your RV. You can plug it in your car. I use it in rental cars. If someone's been smoking in the car or there's been a pet in the car, wipes out the odors. Does so well. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I got to play you a little bit of audio here. This is Jared Bernstein, one of the president's economic advisors. I, that was, okay. I, was, I wanted to ask you about gas prices because they do continue to fall. Do you think right. with that, this element of this crisis is over. Can Americans breathe easy no. now that this marker of inflation that people feel so much that it won't so, spike again? Let me be unequivocal about that. Uh, this is no victory lap. This is no all all of these concerns are behind us. This is not, not, not at all, hey, you know, we used to have inflation and now it's fine. Far from it. When the president says inflation is unacceptably high, he means it. But look, I mean, part of what we're trying to do is uh, present all of the information. Uh, wh when, it, when it looks good, we're going to talk about that. And when it looks bad, we're going to be straightforward about that, too. Now, if drivers are saving uh, about $40 a month, and if you aggregate that up across the country, it's about $260 million a day of savings at the pump. That is a little bit of much needed breathing room. And I think everyone uh, ought to agree with, with that. What it's not is uh, 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 you know, what, what you said, something like, you know, are, are, is everybody breathing freely again? Of course not. We have much more work to do, and we're going to continue to do that. But some of our work is actually reflected in these lower prices, particularly the president's release of all those barrels of oil from the strategic reserve. That is it's not the only factor in the global price, but it's in the mix. So we've, we've got to tell both sides. Uh, right. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, here's the problem. 75% of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run again. And his approval rating continues to sink to an all-time low, causing havoc for the Democrats.